Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. It's good to be up here. Once again, my name is Colin Grant. I uh, am the family pastor here at the church, which means mainly I get to hang out with a lot of our awesome staff who lead our kiddos and kids and middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, In fact, this week, tomorrow morning, I get to take off with some of our middle schoolers to Round Rock, Texas for a week of camp. And uh, our high schoolers are headed to Tennessee today. Uh, later today for a camp, and so just say that in case you would uh, love to pray for us and for both groups this week, just that God would move in big ways, that he would reach out to the hearts of our students and our leaders, and that we would just have a powerful week together, loving each other well and uh, learning about who God is. I'm excited today because I feel like my call for today, that God's just saying, hey, will you remind my kids, remind my people who I am, that I am good and that I'm with them and that I love them. And that's what we get to look at through the call of Moses. Today, I'm excited about this series, The God Who Calls, as I've thought about it. Um, I'm just excited because we believe as a church that God is still calling people. In fact, we believe that God is calling every single person in our congregation in one way or another to do something, to live for him, to step into situations and to ministry opportunities that uh, often are difficult, that often are scary, that often make us nervous. Um, But God is calling us to those things. And I also believe that the enemy wants us to ignore that call. I believe the enemy would rather us live a small life that's all about us that the enemy would want us to avoid taking risks for the Lord, Uh, that the enemy would want us as a church just to play church and not be the church out there doing big things in the name of God. And so that's my hope as we continue to go through this series and we look at stories of our uh, family of faith, of our ancestors in the faith who God called and who relied on him to do the big things and scary things and, and honestly really hard things that we'll start to realize that it's the same God that's calling us. It's the same God that promises to go with us. And so as we look at the story of Moses today, I just hope that God gives us some fresh eyes to see who he is and how he might be calling us uh, in our own lives, in our own world, to follow him and to do big things for him. And before we dig into the word, uh, I would just like to say a quick prayer. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your love. Um, Thank you for the way that you have been already at work in so many lives in our congregation. People have said yes to your call, and you are working through them in powerful ways. pray this might be encouragement to them. For those of us who are just trying to figure it out, would you help us to see you in a new way this morning, to trust you more and more each day as we walk with you. And I just pray that uh, the words that I speak would glorify you and that people would know you better through them. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so we are now, we were in Genesis last week, we're now in Exodus, and we're starting in chapter 3, but a lot has happened in chapter 1 and 2. In fact, the end of Genesis ends with Joseph and the end of Jacob's life, and you remember Joseph going to Egypt and his whole story, and then God uses him and his call to save Egypt, but also save God's people through a famine. And a lot of time has passed now. At the beginning of Exodus, we get a little timeline of Jacob's family again. And then we're told a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm just going to run through it. I'm not going to do it any justice at all. Barely scratch the surface. We just want to get us up to where we are right now. So uh, here's the context. It's been hundreds of years. The Israelites were fruitful and they multiplied. If you remember in Genesis, that was actually when God, Genesis 1, when God created people, he said, This is my purpose for you, that you would be fruitful and multiply, that you would rule the earth. And then again, to Abraham, God made this promise and this covenant with him and said, through you, your family, my people are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so God has kept that promise. He's been at work. And now we see that the people have been very fruitful and they have multiplied. In fact, so much so that Pharaoh is nervous. There's actually one of the commentaries I read said the word uh, can be kind of talked about in in terms of the people were swarming. When you think about there's so many of them. And I think it made Pharaoh nervous. And so he's now, they've been enslaved and they're using as worker bees in a sense for Pharaoh. And it's a hard life. And not only enslaved and not only do things start getting worse and worse and worse, but Pharaoh gets so nervous that he decides, you know what, we need to start killing some of them off because this isn't good. It's getting worse. And so he decides uh, we're going to have the midwives. When a baby is born, he tells them, kill all the boys. Let the girls live, but kill the boys. Luckily, the midwives, not luckily, the midwives were faithful in what they felt like God was calling them to do. And they did not obey that command. They let the boys live. And so Pharaoh goes to the next step and he tells them, hey, anytime a boy is born, throw them into the Nile. Let them drown, but we can let the girls live. And once again, God works, continues to work, and we get to the story of Moses and his birth. And his parents, who it just tells us a Levite man married a Levite woman, they had this baby, and the mother puts Moses in a basket and sends him down the river to try to save his life. And as part of God's plan, he floats right up to Pharaoh's daughter. Um, she takes him out. She knows that it's one of the Israelite babies, but, and she knows what Pharaoh has said, her dad has said to do with them, but she does not do that. In fact, the way the awesome story goes is she sends him back to his mom and pays her to nurse him and raise him for three months. And then she takes him back to Pharaoh's daughter. And this awesome adoption story, the Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses and raises him in Pharaoh's household until he's an adult. We don't get any of the story until he's an adult. And the next thing we see is he has known that he's an Israelite. He's been told that. He sees an Egyptian treating one of his fellow Israelites terribly. He looks around, nobody's looking, and he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And everything goes south from there for Moses. He doesn't think anybody saw what he did. Uh, until he sees two Israelites arguing. He goes out to try to mediate what's going on there. And one says, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And then he realizes, oh, the word has gotten out. And then Pharaoh's after him and he flees. 
to a foreign land, to Midian. And he marries a foreign woman there, and he starts a family, and he's out doing his thing, what seems like out in the middle of nowhere, far from where God had him at the beginning. And that's where we are right now when we start chapter 3. Here we are in verse 1, and we get something really cool in this first verse. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. In this one verse, we get two things. We get a look at how God has been preparing Moses, what he's had him doing, but we also get a look forward to a snapshot really a small picture of all that's going to be happening moving forward, what God is calling Moses to do. Three things here. Moses is tending the flock. Right now, he's taking care of sheep. Soon, he will be taking care of a whole lot of God's people. He's called to be their shepherd, to lead them. Tells us that he leads them to the far side of the wilderness. Does that sound familiar? He will lead God's people through the wilderness. And here he ends up at the mountain of God, which is the same mountain that he's going to be leading God's people to. Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same mountain. And so it's pretty cool that in the first verse we get a snapshot of all that's to come. God has drawn Moses to this mountain. We don't know why he decided. I'm sure there's places he could have grazed the sheep closer, but he decides to take them all the way across the wilderness to this mountain. It doesn't tell us why. But for some reason, God has drawn him to this place. He's drawn them, him to this holy spot. And then Moses has this life-changing encounter with God. Verses 2 through 10, I'm just going to walk through quickly here. Um, but in verse 2, we see that God appears in a burning bush. Moses is out tending the flock, and all of a sudden, he just looks over and sees this, this bush is on fire. But it's not burning up. God somehow has like suspended the natural order of things, which we're going to see in Moses' story in his life. He's going to see this happen a lot with the plagues and with the sea and with water coming out of rocks and all kinds of other things. This is the first of many times that Moses will see the power that God has over the natural world and how he can use it for his purposes. So he sees this bush and he draws near. He's interested. He decides to investigate. So he walks over and he looks. He wants to know what the deal is. He wants a closer look. And as he draws near, it tells us that God notices that Moses is paying attention, that he drew near. And when he notices that, God calls out to Moses. He says, Moses, Moses. God knows Moses. God made Moses. God had been working out Moses' story for a long time in ways that Moses didn't understand at that point and uh, didn't realize, but he, he knew him. He knew him by name. It was Pharaoh's daughter that named him, but God knew his name, and he calls out. And then we get this important part of the story when he calls out to Moses. Moses responds. He makes himself available. He makes himself known. He says, here I am. Here I am. And like Abraham, like Abram at the time, Moses 
as far as we can tell from the story, doesn't really know much about God at this point. He's going to try to figure it out, but he's wondering, probably, who is this? Who is it that's talking to me? But even so, he says, here I am. He makes himself available to God. And when he does that, when he makes himself available, it's at that point that God starts to reveal himself. He starts to help Moses know who he is, who he's talking to. And so we see in verses 5 through 9, first, he lets Moses know that he's holy. He stops him. He lets him get to a certain point, and he says, stop, no farther. Stop there. Take off your sandals. Don't come any closer. You're on holy ground. There's something special, something amazing about who he's talking to. He's talking to the holy God. And then he tells him that he's talking to the God of history. Moses had to have heard the stories of the past of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God saying, the God that was at work in them, the God that called them, the God that did all these things through their lives, that's the God I am. I'm that God. That's who you're talking to. And it's at that point where Moses turns away and he shields his eyes. He's afraid because he knows something about that God. He's heard something about that God. That God is good, but that God is dangerous in a really good way. And then God tells him a couple more really important things. In verses 7 and 9, he tells him, I've heard the cries of my people. It's been a really long time of silence. The people are probably wondering if God was still there, if he still cared. But he tells Moses, I hear their cries. I know what's going on, which is good news. It's a good reminder for us, (laughs) I think, in times when things are hard and we feel like God's not hearing us, he doesn't know, we don't think he's paying attention, that even though there might be silence in the moment, that he still hears. And that's the promise he's giving Moses. And then in verse 8, he tells him, I've got a plan. Not only do I hear them, but I've got a plan to rescue them. And he, this is what he says right here. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And at that point, I think Moses was probably like, that's awesome. That's like the best news I've ever heard in my life. Because he knew, he had his own experience of trying to step in and do something and help an Israelite that was being abused by an Egyptian, and it didn't turn out so well for him. And I'm sure all these years out in the wilderness with the sheep, he still had a heart for his people, and he still wondered when God was going to do something. So to hear that God was going to do something, that he was about to step in and make something happen and rescue them, that would have been really good news. And so I'm sure he was cheering God on, and then God hits him with this. Then God says, so now go to Moses. It's just like in Abram's story where he's saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Now you go and do it. And I'm sure like that's when Moses' stomach probably dropped. I thought God was going to do all these things, but now he's sending me to do these things. And so that's pretty much the end of the story, right? At that point, Moses just goes, sweet, I'm in. 
He goes, everything turns out great. He trusts God totally and completely. And so we can learn from that, right? Not how it happened. That's not how it happened. We get verse 11. Here's Moses' response to all the good news and the scary news. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring my people, to, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt? Who am I? It's like objection number one out of five that Moses has to God in his call. And I think this is the one that he probably gets, I think he gets a bad rap for because I think he's actually right on when he says this. I think his focus is wrong, but he's thinking about himself, right? He's thinking about who he is and his history and what he's done and where he's at and all his strengths. And so he's, he's thinking about him and he's saying, who am I? I can't. I can't do this. And he's right. He's actually right. It's a good question for him to be asking. He doubts his own abilities. That he can accomplish the task that God's set before him. He's saying, I don't think I can do this. Pharaoh is scary. He's the most powerful guy out there. I've got a history there that people know about. It didn't go well for me last time I was there. Me? And when he raises that question, God gives him two promises, which is really awesome. Number one, God says, I'll be with you. Moses, I'm not sending you by yourself. I will be with you. It's the same promise that we get from God, just in our lives in general, but especially when he calls us to go and do something on his behalf, that he will be with us. And number two, he basically says, which I would love it. I don't think we always get this promise when he calls us to do something, but he said, you're going to make it. I'll be with you and you're going to make it. He told them that when you bring the people out of Egypt, you will be back at this mountain worshiping me. That's going to be the sign that it was me who was calling you. And if you turn the pages forward to chapter 19 and 20 in Exodus, you see that promise come true, that he leads the people back across the wilderness. They end up at the mountain of God, and we actually get like a grand picture of the burning bush scene, only just on a much larger scale, that, that God tells them, I'm going to speak to you on top of the mountain, and I want you to have all the people cleanse themselves, and I want them to stay back from the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they're going to die, so have them stay back because I am holy and I'm going to appear to you in a cloud and in smoke and in fire and they're going to hear my voice. Just like he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he's going to appear to the Israelites on the mountain. It comes true what God promises. And so I asked myself as I was thinking about this and would ask you too, when God calls you to do something, what are the promises that he gives you? Do you know what they are? Do you have them in your mind? Have you read them? Maybe make a list of them. But God gives us this book, his book, his word is full of promises that he gives us. He gives us promises of presence and promises of power. He gives us promises of peace and provision when he calls us to do things. There are a lot of them. And so something I want to be reminded of and something I would encourage you to be reminded of that when you feel like God's calling you to do something and it's scary, he's also made promises to you to be with you 
and to help you in the midst of it. And so he gives these promises and you would think, okay, that's good now. I mean, Moses has got to be good now. But we see he actually goes on. Those are just some of the objections. He actually has, in the next chapter, three more that he goes on to make. I'm just going to run through those real quick because it's before he gets to the mountain with the people of God, he continues to, str- he continues to struggle with the call. He continues to doubt and to not have trust. And so he says this to God. He says, what if they don't believe me? He's talking now about the Israelites. What if they don't believe me that you've sent me? And God, if you remember, he says, okay, I'm going to give you three signs for the people. Okay, I'm going to give you the staff that you can throw on the ground. And when it hits the ground, it turns into a snake. When you pick it up, it's a staff again. I'm going to give you this cool thing you can do with your hand. You put it in your jacket, pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back in your jacket, pull it out. It's clean and healed. I'm going to, I'm going to make it so you can turn water into blood. If they don't believe you, do these things. That's awesome. I wish God would give me cool things like that to do if I'm worried about people believing me in the call you know, if someone at church is like, I don't know, you're the best person for this job, like, whoa, okay, that'd be, that'd be nice. But we don't get all the same things that he did. So that's the first one. Then he says, yeah, yeah, but God, I'm not a good speaker. I've never been good with words. You're calling me to go and speak to all the people and to Pharaoh. And God's response to him in that one is, who made mouths? Who made people's mouths? Who taught them to speak? I did. And he says, I will give you all the words that you need. I'll tell you what to say. You commit to go speak, and I'll tell you what to say. And then after all that, the last one that Moses gives him is just a simple, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. And it's at that one that the Lord gets kind of angry. Scripture tells us, okay, now God's getting frustrated with Moses. He's given him so much, and he's still not trusting him. But God is patient. You know what God does when Moses says that? He gets frustrated, but then he gives him Aaron to go and be the spokesperson. He says, okay, Aaron's good with words. I'll tell you what to say. You tell Aaron what to say, and he'll say it. I'm going to send you with the helper. So he's not sending them by himself. Not only is God going with them, now he's giving others to go with them too. So God is patient in the midst of our doubts. He's patient when we don't think we can do it. He's patient when we uh, are afraid, just like he did with Moses. He will with us. And so Moses has all these objections, and the next little section we're going to read really is the answer to all of them because God reveals who he is. This is the most important part of the whole story. He needs to know who's sending him. He knows he's not good enough. He knows he doesn't have the authority. He knows he's not qualified. So his question is really about, can you give me some clarification here on who are you? What's your name? Basically is what he says. So here here it is. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Who are you, God? What are your credentials? What's going to make them want to believe me? Before Moses is saying, I don't think I can do it. Now he's saying, I don't think anybody else thinks I can do it either. When I show up, I've got no authority. 
So who am I working for here? But Moses wasn't called to go on his own power or to speak on his own authority. He wants to know who God is, and God answers powerfully. Verse 14, God answers with this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And the name I am is basically saying, no conditions, I am. Or it also means to be. I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-dependent, my presence is immediate and everywhere, I don't need anything, I don't rely on anything, I can do and accomplish anything I want to do and accomplish. That's who's sending you. That's who I am. So when it feels impossible, that's who's going with you. And God's not done. He gives Moses even more assurance and instruction. In verse 15, he says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, has sent me to you. Has sent me to you. This is his name forever, the name you shall call him from generation to generation. He's saying the same God you've been hearing stories about since you were little, the same God who worked in the lives of your ancestors, I'm that God, and I'm going to continue to work in your life. And here is the good news for us today. We are one of those generations. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph through Moses and the rest of God's word, through your grandparents and your parents and you to your kids and your own grandkids, God is faithful. He's the same God. He doesn't change, and he continues to work. So I know why it's hard for us to trust. I know why we get so nervous when he calls us. But if we turn our focus from ourselves to him and we believe in who he says he is, it makes it easier to follow him. And so here's what I want to say as I close. As we walk through this series about calling and you start to sense, maybe you're in the middle of a call. Maybe you've been doing something that God called you to a long time ago and you've just hit a rough spot and it's hard, and you don't see the fruit, or maybe you're right on the front end, and you're saying, you're wondering, like, what does God want me to do with my life at this stage? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? I think if we follow Moses' example, it might be helpful, and this is what it is. Have your eyes open and notice. Notice things. And I think it begins by praying and asking God, will you help me see? I want you to help me notice where you are at work, where your kingdom is breaking through in my world. Help me to see those things. We just got one right here with Sue, standing up here telling you about this ministry that she works with. When you see something, hear something like that, then draw closer. Get nearer. Ask questions. Investigate. Say, here I am. Lord, is this it? Is this the thing you want me to do? He's not going to always say yes. We're not all called to all the same things. But if he is saying yes, then I think he's going to call to you like he called to Moses. He will say your name. He will say yes. He will give you a sense. This is it. And when he does that, I would encourage you to step into it with boldness. It's not going to be easy. It surely wasn't for Moses. The whole rest of the story is really hard for Moses. But he continues to try to trust God. You will be justified in saying, who am I? Because here's what I really believe. God's usually going to call us to something that's too big for us. 
He's going to call us to something that we cannot do in our own power. If we have butterflies on our stomach when we feel the call, that's probably a good sign that it's actually coming from God because we're going to have to rely on him instead of ourselves to make it happen. And so as you think about those things, as you stand there, as you pray, as you watch and look and prepare to step in, let me remind you of these couple things here. Everything that we're not, God is. Everything that we can't do, God can do. Every place we are weak, God is strong. Every call that is too big for us is a call that we were never meant to do by ourselves. We're meant to go with God. He's calling us to be with him. And I think when we say yes, that's where we're going to find the full life that Jesus offers us. That's where he wants us to be. So let's say yes, and let's watch what he does. Let's pray. God, thank you that you call us. Thank you that your plan in this world, while uh, like Moses, we may be able to stand back and kind of hope that you just go do it yourself. That's not the way you've chosen to do it, God. You've called your people to step out in faith, to follow you, to trust you, to put ourselves in hard and scary situations so that we can live this life, this adventure that you've called us to that might be scary, God, but in the end, we want to be able to look back and see that we did something that actually made a difference. That we lived a big life. We lived into your big story. And so I pray for those who are just struggling in the midst of the call right now, that you would give them peace and reassurance this morning that they are where you want them to be, that you're with them, that you see them, that you hear them. And for those of us that are standing on the front end just wondering where where we should be, what should we be doing? Would you open our eyes to see, God? Help us to draw close to you. Call us in a way that we understand that it's you and then make us brave through the power of your spirit to go and to experience all that you can do through your power, not through ours, but through yours. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen.